Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Hey, good morning, Rescue Church. I want to say welcome to each and every one of you in all of our different locations. It's great having you with us on this Sunday morning. Hey, listen, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to invite you to get it out and get it open to John chapter 7. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, for quite a few weeks now, we've just been taking a journey through the book of John, and we're going to roll into a brand new chapter today chapter 7. And uh, so I would invite you just to get the Word of God in front of you, whether it's an actual old school Bible, whether it's the Bible app on your phone, whether it's the the scripture that's on the handouts in front of you, however you've got it, I would encourage you to get to John chapter 7 with me. And as you're doing that, I want to start our message today with just a word of prayer. I really feel like we need to invite God into this sermon because if he doesn't show up, it's not going to be that good. So let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask him to bless our time together this morning. Father, I am so grateful for this opportunity to share your word with your church. Lord, thank you for giving us your word and thank you for your desire to speak into our life. And right now, Holy Spirit, I just invite you into this moment as we get ready to look at your word, as I get ready to preach, God, I pray that you would just empower my words. I pray that you would quiet our hearts and quiet our minds and block out any distraction that would keep us from hearing your voice this morning. Lord, I really believe that you have some things you want to speak into the lives of your people today, so we just welcome that. And I pray that you would help us to have open minds and open hearts and be receptive and attentive to what you would say. So, Jesus, we love you. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I pray your richest blessing over this message and just declare how desperately I need you now in this moment. Pray you do amazing things in your church today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, well, hey, guess what, church? Today's message is going to be a little different than normal. The last few weeks, we've been in John chapter 6. I think we spent like four Sundays in John 6. And I could do the same thing today as we open up the Bible to John chapter 7, but I'm going to, I'm going to approach this chapter a little bit differently. Um, guess what? We're going to get through all of John 7 in one day. And you're thinking, oh no, our, our supper's going to burn, our lunch is going to burn at home, he's going to take forever. No, I'm not going to read through the entire chapter, that would take too long. And there's a lot of good stuff in John chapter 7, and here's the homework assignment I'll give you right on the front end. I would encourage you to go home and read the rest of John chapter 7 this week, because there's a lot of good stuff there. But there's a theme that kind of keeps showing itself again and again and it runs throughout this whole chapter. And I'm going to choose just to focus on one major theme out of John chapter 7. So I've kind of got like my scripture scalpel and uh, we're going we're gonna to cut this chapter up, okay? And it, it might look kind of random. And here's, here's a little warning. I would say sometimes when pastors preach and they just kind of jump around through the Bible and they just take little chunks of verses, you need to be on guard against that kind of preaching because... It is possible to take the Bible and to cut it up and to make it sound like it's saying something that it's really not saying. Well, I'm going to kind of cut up parts of John chapter 7 today, and I'm just being honest with you about that on the front end, but here's my challenge, another homework assignment. 
you go back and just see if I'm being fair to the text, okay? I want you to, to just know that I'm, I'm doing that. We're just going to look at some snippets of different verses throughout the chapter. But see if I'm not interpreting the chapter correctly, okay? So that would be my challenge to you. Let me give you kind of a summary uh, setting of, of what we're about to see happen, and then we'll, we'll get into some of the text here, okay? So John chapter 7 opens with Jesus. Um, he's talking with his brothers, and we'll look at that in just a moment, but he ends up at a feast. It was an annual feast in the life of the Jewish people called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was when they looked back to the time that they were living in portable houses, basically, out in the wilderness as they were on this journey from slavery in Egypt to the promised land that God had promised to them. And so it became this annual celebration. It was really one of the biggest, most popular celebrations on the Jewish calendar. And so Jesus is going to end up in Jerusalem preaching, teaching to all kinds of people. He's going to have crowds of people around him. And yet here's the thing. Today, we're basically going to like mingle, if you will, through that crowd because not everybody had the same thought and idea about who Jesus was. And we're going to kind of overhear some of their conversations as we mingle through that crowd and hear what it is that people say in response to the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? We're going to hear some different ideas from this group of people in John chapter 7. So let's kind of set the stage here. We'll look at the first, I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and then, then we're going to just kind of skip through some stuff, okay? Stay with me, and it'll make sense, I hope, promise, okay? Verse 1 of John chapter 7, it says this, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to what? To kill him. He was starting to uh, attract some hardcore haters, and they wanted to kill him. And so he's kind of keeping his distance from, from the, some of the Jewish leaders. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, now listen to this condescending tone of his brothers, okay? They, they say, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Now, you might not think that they're being kind of condescending in their tone toward their brother, but look at the next verse. It says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, we know that later on, after his death and burial and resurrection, many of Jesus' brothers would come to believe in him as the Messiah, as the one sent from God. To, to take away the sin of the world. But at this point, imagine growing up as the brother of Jesus. This probably wasn't easy, right, to, to, to be Jesus' brother. They didn't believe in him yet. Therefore, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You want to know why some people hate Jesus? Is because he is the truth. And he exposes darkness. And some people don't like the light coming into their dark world. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now, at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking where is he? 
a little quiz from the text. Why were the Jewish leaders looking for Jesus? Why, why did they want to know where he was? Because they wanted to, what did we say? Kill him. They were searching for Jesus in order to kill him. Uh, in John 6, we saw a whole crowd of people searching after Jesus. Why? Because they wanted a relationship with him? Not so much. They wanted food for their bellies. I guess one of the lessons we can take away from this is that sometimes it's possible to seek Jesus for the wrong reasons. And so anyway, whatever. The, these Jewish leaders are looking for Jesus. They want, they want to know where he's at. They want to kill him. But let's look at what's happening in the crowd. Next verse, verse 12, says, Among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. And verse 13 says, But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Just a little side teaching on verse 13 there. It says, No one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. I wonder how many Christians are in the sound of my voice this morning who refuse to say anything publicly about Jesus for fear of the influencers in your world. Well, I'm not going to talk about Jesus at work because the people who kind of set the rules, they, they're going to they're mock me and make fun of me if I share Christ publicly and openly. I wonder if I'm talking to any Christians today that you let fear keep you silent from speaking about Jesus and what he's done for you. That was kind of happening in this crowd. A lot of whispering, a lot of ideas below the surface, but not too many people willing to publicly go on record and declare anything about Jesus. Well, here's a question. What were the people saying about Jesus? What, what was happening in all of this widespread whispering that was going on? I'm going to show you five different things from the text, and here's where we're going to start to cut some verses up a little bit, okay? But you'll notice on your notes, let's go through these. First of all, John 7, 12, some said he is a good man. That was one of the things that was being said about Jesus. He's a good man. Did you know that today many people still simply put Jesus in that category? He, he was a good, moral, kind person. Yep, he was a historical figure, he lived, he was just a good guy. Good old Jesus. Kind, moral, sweet, meek, mild, gentle Jesus. The one who gave us the golden rule. It's what we teach all of our kindergarten classes. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Those are good words, Jesus. You're a good man. Many people in our world today still hold Jesus simply in that category. He was a good person. Verse 12, others said this. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. He's a deceiver. I would contend even in our world today, there are many people who put Jesus, and you could also just put all of religion in that category of being one of the greatest hoaxes, one of the greatest deceptions ever foisted upon mankind. The thought that there's somehow a God in heaven, somehow there's a creator, somehow we're going to be accountable to that creator, somehow we should live our lives to please that creator. There are plenty that would put Jesus in that category of he's just a fraud. 
He's a deceiver, and there's been plenty more like him throughout human history that have said some things, influenced some people, got people to believe in what they were saying and doing, and they were willing to give them money. They were willing to drink Kool-Aid and kill themselves. Like, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the name of religion. And by the way, I would agree with that statement, the religion part, but here's where I'm at, and I'm completely biased as an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ. I don't put Jesus in the category of religion. I hear people say often that so much atrocity and human suffering and, and senseless slaughter of human life has come about in the name of religion, and I would agree with that. That's true, sadly. And even some of that religion that flies under the banner of a cross. Like, we have to be honest about that, but I'm going to just say this. I honestly believe that nobody ever in human history who has been truly following the Lord Jesus Christ and being obedient to his leading in their life has, has done that. There maybe has been plenty of atrocities in the name of Christianity, but I'm saying it's not real Christianity I'm saying people who are really followers of Jesus leave the world a better place when we're submitted to him, when we're following him in real relationship with Christ. It's not to say Christians don't make a ton of mistakes and we still sin, so I hope you're following what I'm saying. I'm just trying to put some modern clothes on this because we still hear people in the crowds murmuring about Jesus like that today. He's just a deceiver. And if you believe in him, and if you give your life to that, you're one of the biggest fools there's ever been. Some people in the crowd claim Jesus was a deceiver. The third thing, all the way down in verse 40 of John 7, we see this. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. On your handouts, I put the word in parentheses, just the word teacher. Now, when it says the prophet and it capitalizes the word prophet, here's what I, I believe and some commentators would agree, that, that the crowd was thinking this. Probably they're reaching back to the Old Testament prophet Elijah, who if you study his life, he didn't actually die. Like he, according to scripture, was taken up to heaven in a, in a flaming chariot. Like it's a pretty amazing story. And so there was a lot of talk handed down throughout the generations in the Jewish world that as they were waiting for the Messiah to come into the, the world, um, that the prophet Elijah might show up as well. And so I, I believe that's probably what the crowd is saying when they hear the words of Jesus. And they're like, wow, listen to the way that he teaches and speaks with authority. Could he be the prophet? I'll expand that definition and just say, or that category and just say maybe, maybe it's a teacher. Because we still hear people today that want to put Jesus in that category. Not only was he a good man, he was a teacher. He had a lot of things to say. He had a lot of things to teach. A lot of good things that we should apply to our lives. By the way, I, I just want to point this out. Man, I... I so often in the gospel accounts you hear or you will read statements like this where the crowds were amazed at the authority with which Jesus spoke and with which he taught. Even in John chapter 7, the people are questioning, where did this guy get his education? Like who taught him to speak and teach like this? 
Because, why? Because some of their greatest educated minds of their day, the religious leaders, could not deliver God's word the way Jesus could. Even though they're like, he's just a common carpenter. Side note, I love this. This was just something I was kind of chewing on as I was preparing for this message. Look at this. The reason that Jesus was able to speak and teach with such power and authority, are you ready for this? It's because he is the authority. And so when he speaks, he speaks with authority. I just want to connect some dots to to the modern day world in which we live. And this is just me sharing some of my experiences. I cannot tell you how many times in the life of 14 years leading this church, doing ministry in rural communities, how many times I've had people come up to me and say, John, I've sat in church my whole life and I've never heard the word of God presented so clearly and so boldly and in a way that makes sense and with authority. And and let me just be the first to give credit where credit is due. When they say that, they're not giving credit to the name of John. I'm just a messenger. What they're really saying is that, John, when you preach, it's almost like your words are empowered by a living spirit of God. That's what they're really saying. They just don't know they're saying that. I have watched people come into this church who sadly grew up in a a different kind of church background where there was no life. There was no relationship with Jesus that brings this level of authority. And, and, And when they finally are confronted with living truth from the word of God, I've watched people sit for weeks and just weep during the preaching. And I'm like, man, I must not be a very good preacher. It's making them cry. But, but what I'm realizing is that, man, just like this crowd back in Jesus' day, when you've had nothing but dead, hollow, stale religion taught by stuffy people who do not have a relationship with the living God, it is empty. It's, it's just so, I, I hear it all the time. I go to church and I don't get anything out of it. I don't even know what's being said. Could it be that that? The problem is not the book we're reading from. The problem is the fact that the prophet does not have a relationship with the author. So I'm just trying to connect some modern day dots, if you will. They, they were amazed at the authority. It says when they heard his words, they're like, whoa, he's, he's a prophet. Maybe the prophet. But I just want you to see the reason that Jesus spoke with such great authority is not because he had gone to the greatest seminary of their time. It's because he was the authority. He was the son of the Most High God. And he is the son of the Most High God. But I would contend he was in relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And so when he spoke, was life. And the thing is, I've grown up in a life-giving church my entire life, and I've never been a part of a perfect church, still waiting for that to happen. But I've always been a part of a church where when the Word of God is delivered, it's alive, and it's sharp, and it's active, and it does things. And it's not because of the man or the woman that's on stage preaching it. It's because of the relationship and the authority that comes from the Word of God. But anyway, that's kind of a a digression. But it it was just a thought that hit me. Like, why were people so amazed when they heard Jesus speak with authority? It's because they had dead, hollow, stale religion. And they were not accustomed to hearing the Word of God presented with life and with authority. So, by the way, I just say this, Rescue Church, don't take this for granted. And it's not because of John. It's not because of me. God could replace me right now. It's because 
This is a church that is committed to walking in dependence upon the Spirit of the living God. And I believe that when limited, flawed human beings such as myself open the Word of God and deliver it, God is faithful to speak through that with authority, with clarity, with boldness, with conviction. And you might kind of get used to this and think this happens in all churches. Sadly, it doesn't. This morning, there's people all across rural communities that are going to church and they're walking away like this crowd going, we don't get it. It's empty, it's hollow, it's dead. There's no life there. It's part of the vision of this church is to see the word of God preached in these rural communities. So anyway, I'm sorry, I kind of got on a soapbox about that. I get a little excited about that stuff. Okay, here's another thing. As we're circling the crowd, hearing people talk, verse 20 they're, we're going to hear the crowd basically say, you, you're crazy, Jesus. Here's what they said in John seven twenty: You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. They went beyond just calling him crazy. They said, you are demon-possessed. Hey, here's, here's a little teachable moment. If it's true that what Jesus was saying was demon, that he was demon-possessed, if that was true, that he was in fact demon-possessed, then question, I just want to make you think a little bit. Who were they giving him credit for the things that he had done? God, if he's demon-possessed? No. Who would they have been giving credit to? The enemy. Satan. That's who they would have been saying. Look, and, and matter of fact, in different places in the Gospels, the religious leaders did exactly that. They accused Jesus of doing the very things he did. They didn't give credit to the, to the Father in heaven. They gave credit to the enemy. They said, you're doing this through the work of the devil. You know what? Can I just draw a, a modern day parallel with this? To this day, people continue to give Satan the glory for the things that God is doing. You say, well, John, I'm confused. How? What does that even look like? Funny story. And some of you, this will go over your head. Some of you, if you haven't been around the rescue church for very long, you won't necessarily get this. Just keep staying with us and you will. Others, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? So just last week, a friend of mine who pastors down in North Carolina, he's an author. He pastors an awesome church in a small town. Um, man, it's cool to, to get to know him. He gets to be a pastor by the ocean and he gets to surf and it's not even fair like he gets to scuba dive and and hunt and do really cool things by the ocean so i'm struggling with a jealous heart about that but anyway I, I digress on facebook i saw where his church came out and they said hey it's the first of the year so it's that time of the year where we are going to debunk some rumors that just seem to circulate in our community about our church and would you believe what rumor number one was that they dealt with some of you are going to fall out of your chair when i say this they said we have never we do not and we will never require anybody who attends our church to give us a W-2 so we can know how much money to take from them. And some of you are like, really? Like people accuse churches of that? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And, and, and along with that, so many other things as I'm reading through, I'm like, oh my goodness. 
as I've talked to other pastors that I know that are part of healthy, growing churches where the word of God is being preached, where people are coming to know Christ, where people are growing in their faith, where people are being equipped to go serve others in the name of Jesus. It's almost like there's a common enemy that has a play in his playbook and he uses it. Same story, different town. Same story, different church. What is it that he causes others to say about that church? They're a cult. If that's true, that we really are a cult, the definition of a cult would be something completely outside of Orthodox Christianity, then what is that accusation really saying? Who gets the glory and the credit for anything good that's happening in and around that ministry? Not God. The enemy himself. Could it be that we're up against an enemy that is using the same old tired strategy He used it against Jesus, and he used religious people in the process to to throw out those accusations. You know what? What's happening over there, that work that you see, don't be tempted to believe that God's in that. That's actually a cult. That's actually some crazy group of people. Don't get too close. They might ask for your W-2. So by the way, like sometimes we laugh about that. Do people really believe that? Sometimes it's frustrating, but just... I'll just say it, the Rescue Church has never, does not, and will never ask anyone to show a W-2 of any kind. The thought that somehow we could force people to give of their income to anything is laughable. And, by the way, since we're on the subject, based on recent giving, I'm afraid some of our people don't even have W-2s. So anyway, like just if you hear that come up in the community, just debunk it. It's absolute bull, and and it really comes from the enemy. That's where it comes, but don't get all into that and call them Satan when they say that, okay? Just smile, and no, we don't collect W-2s. But people accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. And even back then, the enemy was giving God's glory to himself. And he was using religious people to do it. I find that interesting. So we have people in the crowd saying Jesus is crazy. And then there's a fifth thing we see in John chapter 7. And that's there were some who recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 31, it says, Still many in the crowd believed in him. And in verse 41, here's what they said. He is the Messiah. And, and let's not roll off of that too quickly because some of us may not really understand the significance of that. If Jesus is the Messiah, here's what that means. There's a lot communicated in that word. It means he is the promised one sent from God to this earth to live a perfect life to be the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who would go to the cross, whose blood would be shed in order to deal with my sin problem and your sin problem. That's what it means that He's the Messiah. It means He came to set us free from the sin problem that we could not get free from on our own. It means that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father outside of Jesus Christ. It is through Him and through Him alone. He is the only name by which men must be saved. That's what it means. And there were people in the crowd that believed that, that accepted that. He is the Messiah, I believe. We heard Peter say it last week in John 6. Lord, I believe 
You have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. There were people in the crowd who got it. Well, here's kind of a summary verse, a couple things. Verse 43, as we continue to cut up John chapter 7, says this. Here's the summary. Thus the people were what? The people were divided because of Jesus. Hey church, I got a question for you on this Sunday morning. Are people still divided over the person and the name of Jesus today in our world? You better believe it. Jesus even said that. He said at one point, one of the radical, crazy things Jesus said is, I didn't come to bring peace into the world. I came to bring division. Because he knew, like we talked about last week, there is no middle ground. And it's a decision you have to make. You can't just say, well, I pass. Because in passing to make a decision about who Jesus is, you're making a decision by not deciding. It's, it's passive rejection of the offer of salvation. We have to decide, who is Jesus? I'm not naive enough to think that if we were to go around and somehow have the ability to listen to the murmurings of our crowd today, I'm not naive enough to believe that just because we're in church on a Sunday morning, that every single person would be at that number five. He is the Messiah. I believe we would hear murmurings of the heart of people saying, he was just a good person. He was a prophet. Had some things that he taught. Maybe there's some that are like, I'm not convinced. I think he's full of it. I think he's a deceiver. I think he was crazy. I think the the teachings of Jesus are nothing more than the ramblings of a madman, a demon-possessed person. Here's my question to you. Where do you fall? What do you do with the answer, with the question, who is Jesus? How do you answer that? Who is Jesus Christ? Now, I got just a couple more verses I want to share because Jesus in this passage is going to offer up kind kind of a warning. I want you to hear these next few verses as a warning. Verse 33 and 34, Jesus said this. He says, I am with you for only a short time. And then I'm going to the one who sent me. And then look at what he says. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. I promise that most of the people in Jesus' original audience didn't fully understand what he's saying. But I also know, we know what he meant by that. Because we have the complete, finished word of God. We know the end of the story. And if you've got your handouts, if you're following along with me, I just want you to write down something here real briefly. There's three things, kind of a summary statement of John chapter 7. Here's the big theme that I want to draw out of this passage. Okay, write this down. First of all, God has given me time in this life to make a decision for Christ. If you have a heart that's beating in your chest right now, if you've got breath in your lungs If you are alive in human history right now in this moment, you have been given the gift of time. You have time to make a decision for Christ. And as I said earlier, you will make a decision regarding Christ. You can't opt out of this one. By not answering, you're giving an answer. Who is Jesus Christ? Who do you say that he is? You have time to make up your mind about Jesus. You have time. But the second thing that I would have you write down is this. My time 
is limited. My time is limited. How much time do you have? And before you're too quick to answer that and go, man, I... I'm going to live a long time. I come from a healthy family. I'm a healthy person. I don't have any health issues in my life. I'll probably live till I'm old, like 40. That used to be a funny joke. It's not as funny anymore because I'm like one year away from that. So I used to think that was hilarious when I said that. Now I'm going to have to start bumping that number up a little bit. But I'm bringing humor to a situation to be a little more serious in telling you that this a week ago, I went to a funeral for a 22-year-old kid. And I'm old enough now that I can call the 22-year-old a kid. That hasn't always been the case either. So, John, what are you talking about? I'm making the point that your time is limited. You might have 22 years. You might have 40 years. Whoa. You might live the normal age span of an American in the western part of the world, and you might make it to 82, 85, 89 years old. But regardless, your time is limited. And we're coming to the end of a church service, and most likely, you know, we've been here for about an hour now in all of our locations, and that's an hour of your life you're not getting back. Probably not the best way to talk about a church service either. That's an hour of my life I'm not getting back, right? That's not how I meant that. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we're all one step closer right now. We're all about 60 minutes closer to the end of our limited time in this life. God has given you a gift. He's given you a gift of time to make up your mind about who Jesus is, but your time is limited. And you and I don't know how many more tomorrows we're going to be given. And here's the third thing that I would say and have you write down on your notes is this. My decision will affect me for all eternity. Jesus, his words to this unbelieving crowd are basically like the day's coming that you're going to look for me and then you won't find me. Because I'm going back to the one who sent me here. And you're not going to be able to find your way back to that place. Because you rejected me. And again, the crowd totally didn't understand. They're like, where could you go that we couldn't find you? We know who your parents are. We know where you're from. Where are you talking about? You're going to go somewhere where we can't find you. We know exactly what Jesus was talking about. Many eyewitnesses would watch him ascend up into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And I believe that if you're sitting here in this moment, I believe that God is giving you an opportunity right now to find him, to seek him, to accept him into your life. But that time is limited and that time will come. The time will come that that will run out. And your decision for Christ or your decision to reject Christ will affect you for all eternity. One final verse I want to share, and then I'm going to pray uh, this morning. Isaiah 55, 6. Let's jump back to the Old Testament for just a minute. Isaiah 55, 6 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. I want you to know that this morning the Lord Jesus is near to 
anyone who would call upon his name. He's here. He's waiting. His arms are open. He's inviting. He's offering you a relationship with himself. He's offering you a friendship. And he's a lot closer than some of you may think. And the words of the prophet Isaiah would remind us that we need to call on the Lord and seek him and find him while there's still time, while he is still near. Because as Jesus paints this picture in one of the Gospels, the day is coming in which many, many, many people will stand before the Lord and they will hear him say, Depart from me for all eternity, for I never knew you. You never received me. If you're here today in any of our locations and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now as I close in prayer. Wherever you're joining us from, wherever you're sitting, I would just encourage you to, in faith, call on the name of the Lord Jesus and accept Him into your life as your Lord and Savior. And to the Christian audience, in the sound of my voice this morning, this is not just a a get-out-of-hell message for unsaved people. The message of the gospel is not just about saying a prayer so I get out of hell and then I can go on living like hell the rest of my life. That is not the gospel message. If I'm speaking to people who claim the name of Jesus this morning, God's word for you is to follow him each and every step of the way and let him lead you. He is your authority. He's your Lord. He's your King. He's your Savior. And he is owed everything. We, he deserves everything. So whatever it is that he's speaking into your heart and into your life, my challenge is that you submit to him and that you follow him. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer today. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray I cannot see the hearts of people that are gathered in the rescue church today, but you do. And I pray that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice this morning that has never trusted in Jesus, for the gift of eternal life, for the forgiveness of their sin, that today would be that day of turning. That they would come to declare you as the Messiah, the one sent from God. That they would establish that relationship, that friendship with you today. God, if I'm speaking this morning to any Christians that just need a stern reminder, some conviction, That this is not just about saying a prayer one time and then going on living the rest of our life as though you do not exist. That the Christian life is about daily bowing before you and yielding our allegiance and our loyalty and our submission to you, King Jesus, because that's exactly who you are. You are the Lord of lords. You're the King of kings. And we owe everything to you. Jesus, do whatever you would with this message in the hearts of your people. I love you. I commit it to you. It's in your precious and powerful name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.